Welcome to Feed Matters, Feed Navigator's podcast series dedicated to exploring industry challenges, concerns, and emerging topics. I'm Erin Einstein-Curtis, and for the start of the new year, we caught up with National Grain and Feed Association President Randall Gordon to hear more about the projects that the association will focus on in 2020, along with regulatory and biosecurity matters affecting the feed industry. The National Grain and Feed Association, or NGFA, was founded in 1896 as a nonprofit trade association that represents multiple sectors of the industry, ranging from feed and feed ingredient manufacturers, grain elevators, biofuels companies, and cash grain and feed merchants to users of feed and grain products. The association provides services for industry members and seeks to improve the growth and performance of U.S. agriculture by advocating for a global open market environment. 2019 was a year that many producers in the U.S. were ready to see end, as it was unpredictable in terms of feed crop production and trade. Looking forward to 2020, NGFA is set to focus on supporting ratification of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement, USMCA, and improving trade with China, along with increasing the focus on infrastructure, commodities marketing, and approval of biotech products. There will be a lot of work to do on implementing USMCA, and we're at NGFA turning our attention to that, uh, particularly related to some of the biotechnology and sanitary and phytosanitary provisions in USMCA that we hope will lead to uh, more, uh, even smoother trade with our trading partners in Mexico and Canada. And on China, obviously, we don't know the details yet of the phase one uh, understanding that the U.S. and China have agreed to. I think uh, overarching there, uh, our industry would really like to get away from, as quickly as possible, a so-called managed trade environment where it's more government-to-government negotiation on what kind of uh, volume commitments and commodity commitments uh, for trade that uh, that uh, China is agreeing to. We'd like to get, obviously, back into a more free market environment where it's uh, the importers in China, both uh, state-owned enterprises as well as private importers in China uh, can uh, get into a more regular uh, transactional basis with U.S. exporters uh, in in terms of their purchases going forward without the risk of tariffs and and trade disruptions uh, on the the Chinese import side. We'll also look at some opportunities, I think, uh, with uh, Brexit now likely to happen. (laughs) Uh, Again, another unpredictable predictable thing, but uh, with uh, Boris Johnson's re-election uh, in, in, in England, uh, that in Great Britain, that likely will uh, move forward and, and we'll see what kind of opportunities might arise uh, in terms of a U.S.-U.K. Uh, uh, trade agreement uh, that could be very helpful in trying to break away from some of the, the rigid uh, European Union type restrictions on trade uh, that have uh, uh, encumbered uh, commodities going in uh, because of the precautionary principle in Europe. Um, I think on on, uh, biotechnology front, uh, obviously our big focus there is on gene editing and some of the new technologies that are being introduced. Um, And in that arena, Aaron, I think we we are focusing very heavily on the need for transparency so that uh, the industry as well as our, our customers and the food side domestically and feed side, as well as uh, in international markets, know what kind of traits are being introduced into the commercial grain supply and uh, have an assurance that there is uh, some uh, 
appropriate level of government oversight. Uh, we don't obviously think that uh, the same regulatory rigor is needed around gene-edited traits uh, as occurred with transgenic uh, biotechnology. But clearly, there'll be a lot more players uh, that are working on this technology. It's a much uh, lower cost and more efficient way to uh, enhance uh, 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 crops uh, for both for drought resistance and agronomic purposes, as well as uh, eventually for, for functional food uh, benefits as well. So uh, we, we commend and obviously need the technology and, and are very supportive of it. But at the same time, we need to be able to market and sell whatever commodities U.S. farmers are growing uh, without the risk of uh, trade disruption. So that's a huge issue for NGFA uh, coming up in 2020. We're obviously awaiting uh, what USDA issues as a final rule on APHIS is the Animal Plant and Health Inspection Services overview and regulatory oversight of these traits uh, as potential plant pest risks. Uh, it's likely going to be a very light touch there, but also from our Food and Drug Administration in terms of the kind of encouragement they may be providing to uh, technology providers to continue voluntary consultations with the agency so that it knows what's in the food supply and can provide some kind of safety assurances as well. We think that'll be fundamentally very important. But we're making some good progress in among Latin American countries too through the International Grain Trade Coalition in trying to galvanize support for a more risk-based approach uh, to review of this new technology so it doesn't encumber the innovation that we need but also uh, provides assurances to consumers both domestically and internationally uh, in the safety of these products. Um, another big issue I think for us going forward in 2020 and, and we started running into this in 2019 was the increasing is the increasing market power of the class one railroads, the largest railroads uh, in North America. There are seven that are class one railroads now and six of those have adopted this so-called precision scheduled railroad operating model where they're increasingly dictating service terms and conditions. Uh, freight rates are going up rather dramatically. Uh, including in the ag sector, uh, but it really brings into question fundamentally what the railroad's common carrier obligation, which is a statutory requirement to provide service upon reasonable request, uh, what that means in this day and age when the railroads have this type of and kind of level of market power where they can pretty much dictate uh, what kind of service terms and conditions they're going to be providing service. Uh, we've seen in the feed ingredient side and uh, processed commodity side uh, that they've increasingly shifted traffic to so-called manifest trains, which are extremely long merchandise-type trains with ag shipments mingled in there. And it's taking, for instance, feed ingredients uh, in the Midwest now about twice as long to get to ca uh, customers in the feed industry out in California as it did uh, previously, uh, rather than unit train service being provided. So it's that kind of disruption that we're really concerned about and we're really glad uh, that and pleased that the Surface Transportation Board at, at in the federal government which has oversight over freight railroads is becoming much more active in providing oversight maybe some reforms in this area. And one other thing I, I probably should mention on the commercial side, NGFA has been uh, developing uh, what we're calling a barge uh, uh, digitization process uh, and this should be a real boon for the industry where uh, an industry-led task force working through NGFA has developed a 
a, uh, a system wherein we're actually about to announce a, uh, a vendor that will be developing this, uh, this system that will allow uh, folks that ship uh, commodities by barge uh, to transmit their, their documents electronically versus through old paper documents and FedEx packages. And we think this will save the industry millions and millions of dollars because barges are often traded, you know, 10, 15 times as they move down the, the uh, upper Mississippi and Illinois River system to the Gulf uh, as, as, as export demand changes and export cargoes uh, at the port uh, become clarified. So the industry has spent a lot of time and money, uh, both administratively in their back office operations as well as just uh, accumulating these bills of lading and other kinds of barge documents uh, to ship by paper and FedEx uh, uh, and having the ability to do that electronically will be a huge cost savings and we're hoping to see this operationalized uh, but within the first quarter of next year. As part of its work to improve international trade, NGFA also has been focusing on gathering support for the tolerance of a low-level presence of biotech products in grain shipments. Again, and that's one of the real benefits of the USMCA agreement is that there is a, a new section on biotechnology there that um, mirrors and improves upon the language that was in the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement that the U.S. withdrew. From. Uh, but it, it commits us, it commits all three countries to taking a, a more of a science and risk-based approach and more collaboration from a regulatory cooperation uh, standpoint. In, in, in evaluating, uh, obviously, countries that, like the U.S. and Canada that have very sophisticated systems for evaluating the um, safety of biotechnology-related or, or enhanced uh, traits uh, and, and having th those results be acceptable in, in other countries uh, through a low-level presence so that if Canada, for instance, approves a trait, uh, and the U.S. is convinced, yeah, they, they did a good job of risk assessment. We haven't really had a chance to do that analysis yet, and, uh, but uh, we will allow a certain uh, tolerance of, say, 0.5% or something, uh, or 5%, excuse me, uh, tolerance in import shipments. And we did have that situation come up with a uh, canola product that was approved in, in Canada before uh, gaining U.S. approval. And um, But I think, again, the, the USMCA makes considerable progress in that arena. And we, Canada has been a real leader on LLP policy internationally. And there's a lot of work going on in South America, again, through the International Grain Trade Coalition of encouraging government governments in Latin America and South America to uh, uh, to recognize an LLP type of an approach. And good progress is being made there. Uh, so uh, we're very hopeful that we can uh, continue to chip away at that one. The ongoing changes from the FDA's Food Safety Modernization Act, or FISMA, are continuing to unfold for feeding grain industry members. NGFA Senior Vice President of Feed Services, David Fairfield, provided us with an update on the regulatory system's ongoing implementation. You know, most of the major FISMA rules were finalized in 2015-2016, and since that time, the feed industry has spent tremendous resources trying to understand what the requirements mean and build compliance programs. And um, you know, although FDA has provided a number of guidance documents for the final rules and really been um, 
I think, very open and transparent in, in what their expectations have been. Um, you know, they, they stated early on that they were going to take an educate before and while we regulate approach as com compliant states passed. And, and I think um, what we've seen in the industry is that, that FDA has followed up on that approach um, by taking that educate before and while we regulate approach during the inspection process for the most part. I would say that the requirements are very complex, particularly related to the preventive controls rules for animal food. And those inspections just really began in earnest in, in late 2018. And then small businesses have been subject to preventive control inspections, routine preventive control inspections just beginning this fall. And it's, and it's really going to be um, through that inspection process that FDA's regulatory expectations will be formalized. Um, I think you're, you're probably, you've heard enough about the requirements to know that there's a lot of flexibility within the requirements. And so although FDA has given guidance and have provided, you know, a lot of direction, there's still a lot of gray area. And so I think as an industry, we will learn or, or know better what FDA's compliance expectations are as we get more inspectional experiences. Um, again, specifically related to preventive controls. Um, that's going to be a big area for the industry. The challenge has been, again, particularly related to preventive control requirements, is that firms need to do a hazard evaluation and be able to justify that and then you know, justify the types of controls that they put in place to mitigate those hazards. And, and so it becomes very much a, a conversation during the inspection. And really what the, the question is, what's, what is going to be acceptable justification from a firm to FDA to validate the decisions that they've made during that process? And, and to this point, we don't have a lot of um, experience yet from inspections to really indicate where, that, where that's going to go. Um, during during FDA's last fiscal year, fiscal year uh, 2019, there were a number of preventive control inspections that took place at large companies. Uh, the results from those inspections have not been overly positive. Uh, at the same time, FDA has said that those inspections have, have been conducted primarily at facilities where they uh, have seen compliance deficiencies in the past. And so uh, maybe the re inspection results are skewed in some manner. Uh, we're just going to need more, more experience to really understand um, kind of how FDA is going to conduct the preventive controls inspections and what, what it means. I, I think moving forward from a FISMA standpoint, um, you know, you know not, all the, not all the rules within FISMA have been promulgated. Um, just in November, FDA proposed a rule that re would require uh, food and feed testing to be conducted by FDA accredited laboratories in certain situations. Um, the comment period for that rule is coming up the first part of March. We'll be submitting comments on that. Uh, another rulemaking that FDA is going to initiate here in 2020 is um, they're going to propose additional traceability requirements for high-risk foods. And so uh, the animal food industry will be active, I think, in, in trying to address that rulemaking as well.
Another developing topic being watched by feed industry members has been the ongoing spread of African swine fever, which has called attention to feed biosecurity and the steps that can be taken to prevent the disease from entering the U.S. Certainly, ASF has been a been a huge huge issue for the the global um, animal protein supply. Um, you know, actual numbers out of China are difficult to to obtain. Uh, I think. Most most estimates, though, would would indicate that feed demand in China in the short term um, is going to be down 15 to 20 percent, and so that obviously has impacted um, the U.S. feed exports. And and uh, on the flip side, you know, it, it does provide an opportunity for um, the United States to provide additional exports of of animal protein to China uh, as long as Trade disputes don't get in the way. Um, from a from a feed standpoint, though, in, in the U.S., been a lot of focus placed on uh, taking taking steps to prevent African swine fever from becoming established in in the U.S. pork industry. That um, we've been involved, the NGFA, uh, along with a, a number of other stakeholders, have been involved in a pretty active dialogue over 2019 about the potential role that feed and feed ingredients could play in the transmission of foreign animal diseases like African swine fever. Um, I think to this point, uh, we, we believe that there are, although scientific information is growing, we believe that there are data gaps you know, in terms of really being able to, to quantify what role feed may play in transmitting the disease. And so, um, I think our position at this point would be that we would want to try to facilitate or support additional scientific research to, to gain a better understanding of, of how feed fits into these types of diseases. Um, you know, obviously, the Canadians uh, took an approach back in March where they established additional import requirements for grains and oil seeds and processed meals that originate from countries of ASF concern. Um, the meetings that we've been involved with during 2019 have included regulatory agencies, USDA, USDA and FDA. And, and um, I think at this point, um, regulatory officials don't believe the science warrants that type of response yet. Again, this is an emerging issue, and, and uh, we just need to, need to know more about uh, what's going on. It's obviously complex as well, but um, at this point we we're, we would be aligned with that view that um, we think that we just need to gain more information to be able to implement effective preventive measures for the U.S. industry. Certainly the whole African swine fever um, outbreak has caused the U.S. industry to to focus more on biosecurity practices and uh, you are aware that some you know, a number of studies have been done. Um, they're they're fairly limited in scope, but they, they've been done to to indicate that if a virus is present within a feed or feed ingredient, that if it's held for a certain time or under certain conditions, that there's the potential to degrade the virus. And so I am aware that within the U.S., you know, a number of companies are holding ingredients that maybe that have been sourced from countries of ASF concern. So that, that practice is in play on a voluntary basis right now. 
a number of companies are doing that. Um, you know, from the NGFA standpoint, we have we have tried to actively communicate to the industry um, the need to to evaluate biosecurity practices and implement appropriate procedures um, to to minimize the risk of of transmitting viruses or diseases through people, through trucks, through equipment, through feed, and so I think that that dialogue is active as well. Um, more recently, uh, we, we, or the NGFA has been receiving quite a few questions about foreign animal disease response plans and what, how feed mills, feed distributors should be preparing in, in the event that a foreign animal disease does break out within the U.S. And so we, we are trying to draft information that we can share to our members and to the industry about some, some things or that they should be considering um, if, an, if a foreign animal disease were to break out, how, how to prepare. If, if a foreign animal disease outbreak does occur within the United States, then USDA has, has jurisdiction and will work with state and local authorities to take actions that uh, they believe are appropriate. There, there are foreign animal disease response plans that are, that are in place. From a feed supplier standpoint, um, I think feed mills need to be considering how, you know, no one knows exactly what's going to happen, but there's probably going to be a restriction of movement. There's probably going to be additional biosecurity requirements put in place to go in and out of control zones. And so feed mills need to kind of be aware of the types of activities that are going to take place and what take steps that they can now to be prepared. You know, for instance, if, if additional biosecurity practices are required, if there's additional capacity needed to disinfect equipment, disinfect trucks, where 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 are you going to find that? I mean, that that's one, an example of one question that feed comp feed companies can can think about right now. Another example would be um, if a if a premise is quarantined um, and feed deliveries need to be made there, are there ways to somehow minimize truck exposure, people exposure while delivering feed to the premise? Uh, is there some, some way to maybe access the perimeter of the facility and be able to offload product without having to really enter into the heart of the facility? Um, th those are just a couple examples of things that I think feed distributors, feed mills can, can be thinking about to maybe make a plan to be able to respond more effectively if, a, if an outbreak does occur. Thank you again for listening to Feed Navigator's Feed Matters podcast. Tune in again soon for another look at ways to future-proof the industry. I'm Erin Einstein-Curtis, wishing you a great start to the new year.